Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. Today's guest is the first guest ever on this podcast and someone I'm very proud to have back. Ladies and gentlemen, Senior ServiceNow Architect at GlideFast Consulting. They are a consulting shop for ServiceNow implementations. Josh Brostock, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. It's great to be back. Really excited to be here. So today is September 13th. Last time we talked, I want to say it was all the way back in April when COVID had just started. So compared to then, what trends are you seeing now in the market for ServiceNow? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think last time we talked, Ben, it was it was a really interesting time because there was definitely some uncertainty. I think in the whole cloud space, essentially, you know, really when things when the market hit a low on March 23rd, you know, we didn't really know what was coming, right? Were companies going to stop spending on a lot of cloud platforms like Microsoft Azure? and ServiceNow, Workday, Salesforce, and really, you know, based on previous recessions, right, when, you know, the the tech, uh, you know, when the tech boom happened and then it crashed in 2000 and, you know, in the early 2000s, and then we had the Great Recession in 2008, you know, we really saw IT spending go down. And what's happened as a result of this is it's actually done the complete opposite Um, Tech spending has really increased, especially for a lot of these cloud applications um, like Salesforce and ServiceNow. You know, you really are, you're starting to see uh, huge revenue beats. There's tons of spending going on in professional services for, um, you know, new applications that companies are standing up, but more so specifically around ServiceNow is, and again, you know, I don't want to sound too, uh, you know, too cliche with this, but digital workflows, right? How are we moving our for our workforce remotely um, and making sure it's a smooth transition, creating more automation uh, in the organization, and making sure that we are a digital company, right? And and that's really more true now than ever. And in that sense, COVID has actually really helped. I think the ServiceNow space and even uh, increase the growth rate like we've never seen before. Awesome. Yeah, I think you're hitting on a big theme, which we can explore a bit before we get to the second quarter earnings call for ServiceNow. You mentioned a bit about workflows and digital automation. One thing you'll see everywhere in ServiceNow materials and something Bill McDermott said on their second quarter call, he says, quote, behind every great customer experience is a great workflow. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and how that's particularly relevant during COVID. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, like you're saying, Ben, I do get asked a lot, what does that mean? You know, what is a workflow when, you know, Bill McDermott and, and other people's, you might see um, ServiceNow commercials popping up left and right. And, and that's something they're really 
um, hitting on is, you know, I was watching actually the NFL this afternoon and, and I saw this uh, commercial about digital workflows in the cloud. And what it really means, I want you to, to envision that you have a process of onboarding a new employee, right? So the employee, you know, signs, you know, signs the contract that they're going to join the company and you know you need to provision them an AD account, they need a Workday account, they need a ServiceNow account, Salesforce, they need a new laptop, they need this software installed on their computer and they need their desk set up in, you know, this part of the building. I want you to imagine all the different pieces and if you were actually to diagram that out on a chalkboard, you would have all of these, it's essentially a workflow, right? And when we talk about workflows in the cloud and automation, you can actually create those workflows in the tool um, and do things like assigning out tasks to people. You can automate software installs. You can send out emails automatically all through a workflow. Um, and it really actually looks like it's, it's a designer, right? So the same way that you would be diagramming them out on a chalkboard, <clears throat> ServiceNow is a very visual tool uh, they actually have a few different ways of doing it called a workflow editor where you can create these at different activities and string them together. Uh, and they also have a more, uh, a newer version of that called flow designer, which is essentially meant to replace the workflow editor eventually. Um, but it's, again, it's a very visual way of creating a workflow um, that's all, you know, orchestrated through ServiceNow. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, I was wondering if you could kind of paint the picture too of, say you had a new client who wanted to create one of these workflows and let's go with the example you used of a new employee uh, trying to set up shop for the first time. As a consultant or someone who worked internally on ServiceNow implementations, how long do you think it would take you to design and then implement this workflow and then also deploy it? Because I know one of the things that ServiceNow calls out a lot is you can deploy these applications to millions of employees and not necessarily have to worry about some of the scalability concerns. Whereas internally, that would really be a pipe dream uh, prior to ServiceNow. Yeah. And I think something <clears throat> that's really interesting that we've never really had before that ServiceNow enables people to do is not create, you don't have to create applications from scratch, right? So let's, let's kind of compare, you know, the, the work that you and I do as an example. So you know, you're, you're a software engineer, but you really focus on, you know, creating things from scratch, actually writing out the individual lines of code, creating applications from nothing. What ServiceNow really does is it gives you a platform in a no-code, low-code way to build applications um, to be deployed rapidly, right? So something that would typically take several months or several years to develop basically through this no code interface, you can actually build and deploy applications rapidly. So, um, you know, I've actually, you know, done a lot of these things that are, that are COVID related and actually deploy them out to the entire organization in the matter of weeks. Right. So there's, you know, ServiceNow really enables that rapid application development where you don't actually have to develop, you know, have a developer sit down and, and literally start uh, writing code from nothing. Yeah, I think when a lot of people hear that, myself included, for the first time, they're, they're pretty skeptical, right? Like low code, no code. You know, my company probably has t dozens of different fields that are pretty customized and my workflow feels fairly customized. So how does ServiceNow work around the fact that some companies have unique use cases while still maintaining kind of that low code, no code methodology you mentioned? 
Yeah, and one of the biggest things about ServiceNow is its ability to be customized. So, you know, there are a lot of a lot of other applications that may do uh, similar things that you may have worked with. But when you look at a, a product like you know some of Oracle's offerings, right? Um, you know, Oracle Financials in the cloud. There's not a ton of ability to customize how things are set up. ServiceNow gives you the complete ability to actually customize it and configure it the way you want. So you can actually write code. Um, you can write JavaScript to actually customize it the way you want. Um, you know, you can do server side and, and client side policies to be able to bring your applications to life. Um, you know, you have the workflow tool to help automate workflows as part of your application. So really when I say no code, low code, it does enable you to do that, but there's absolutely, you can, you can really build anything you want in service now. And, and when I say that, I truly do mean it. Um, it gives you, you know, you, for example, as a developer myself, I'm writing JavaScript all the time, uh, to make sure that the application functions to the requirements that the client has. So there's definitely the ability to make sure that no matter, you know, how, how custom you think something might be, um, you can still do it. The other piece of that as well is, um, you know, you, you're familiar with this, but the service portal and service now, which runs on uh, angular JS. So there's also that, that piece of it as well for making things, you know, really making that a sexy front end of service now. And, you know, they're also starting to get into, um, other frameworks as well, and in more recent versions, there's been a lot of rumors uh, that they may be getting into React and uh, you know other new frameworks as well. Yeah, music to my ears definitely as a developer who's had to set a lot of stuff up from scratch. And I think the proof is in the pudding too that very complex companies with complex workflows have been able to leverage ServiceNow. So this is an opportunity to jump into the second quarter earnings call. So they reported July 29th. You know, reading the transcript, I just want to mention some of the companies that we, we've seen with uh, CSM and HR and other ServiceNow type implementations. So we have Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, the U.S. State Department, Zoom, a uh, you know, notable customer, uh, Disney, which used uh, some of its customer service portal for Disney Plus uh, to build it through ServiceNow, Petrobras and Uber, I think is a relatively new customer as well. So super impressive. Um, what really kind of caught my eye on that call is CSM seems to be their, their biggest growing segment. Um, so CSM stands for customer service management, um, you know, popping up a ton in the, in the call, Disney and Zim, both are CSM customers. So, uh, I know you talked a bit about it a bit when we uh, chatted in April, but if you could go over again, what is CSM? Why is the total addressable market so large? Um, and what are customers using it for? Yeah. And previously, you know, ServiceNow really started off as an IT service management tool based around ITIL. So conventionally, it's more around your internal ticketing. So an employee, you know, their computer is broken, you can submit an incident, right? Or you can also manage your, your change management process, problem management, knowledge management, all those uh, different pieces. But customer service management really focuses on your external customers um, you could also use it for internal use cases as well. But so the main use cases around customer service management are business to consumer. So let's say, uh, you, you know, you mentioned Zoom, for example, Zoom has tons of customers, right? So their customer, one of their customers is, is not able, you know, their Zoom room meeting isn't uh, spinning up as they would expect it to. They can 
submit a case uh, through ServiceNow, and then the Zoom customer support team can then manage the case directly through the lifecycle, you know, find relevant knowledge articles about how to resolve the issue. Um, they can do all types of escalations and what are called special handling notes about the specific customer. Um, and really, you know, through various different tools, make sure that they're getting their issue resolved quickly, right? The other use case you can have with customer service management is business to business. So let's say, for example, um, you know, that, you know, you have uh, Microsoft, right? So Microsoft is, is the primary business and they're, they use, you know, this is just an example, right? But they have, uh, you know, ServiceNow CSM and they have Best Buy reselling their products um, kind of as, a, as an intermediary, right? So and Best Buy is reporting an issue with one of their, you know, particular products. You can also have it as a business to business use case as well. So it really focuses more on serving your customers and customers being primarily external versus the conventional use of ServiceNow, which is really meant for internal ticketing. Makes sense. And definitely from an investor standpoint, encouraging to see there's both the B2B and B2C lines within that CSM segment. Um, what do you think is wrong with CMS, CSM right now? Like why are companies having a hard time with it and why do they need ServiceNow? Right. So I think... Really, I think a lot of people would say customer service has been something for such a long time that companies have struggled with, right? They're typically the teams are understaffed, you know, some, you know, it's, it's a very high turnover environment. Um, a lot of times the teams don't receive the training that they need. And it's not a very well funded department within an organization as well. So you know, because it's it's not making the company money, right? And and really, we're starting to shift to a time where customer service translates into revenue. Uh, and when I say that, serving your customers, you know, if, if you do a good job serving your customers and providing good customer support, that ultimately is going to come full circle. They're going to re- you know they're going to reference the work that your company does to other people. Um, and it's going to continually grow through things like, you know, just word of mouth and, and just a good reputation within the market. Um, and when you think of a company like Amazon, you know, and, and just their complete obsession with customer support and, and good customer service, look at the differences that, that that's made for them, right? Obviously, you know, they're running the best online marketplace for literally anything you want to buy, but you know, if you have a problem with something that you've ordered, their their customer service is just unrivaled. And as a result of that, it's grown their revenue tremendously. And ServiceNow's CSM solution is really looking to better help organizations manage their process of customer service, help their customers get issues resolved faster, and ultimately, you know, better their, their customer service delivery overall. Yeah, Amazon's an interesting example because on the consumer side, like I completely agree with you. The support is almost instantaneous. They call you, whereas other companies, you're dialing in, just waiting for an answer. Um, AWS is another one that comes to mind because for AWS, I've worked for companies where you open a support ticket and Amazon maybe isn't the quickest getting back to you, but you can also pay up within AWS to get 24-7 support. So if you're a larger company, you'll pay for the right to get better support, uh, better service management from AWS representatives. So I'm wondering, is... CSM is something that you kind of tier like that and monetize so you could have a class of customers that get support, but not as quickly as your top tier customers who pay a little bit more 
and then get the best support? Is that something you could build through ServiceNow? I think it's absolutely something you could build. I mean, typically that type of contracting um, would really be done through the business itself. Um, but obviously, you know, in ServiceNow, there's ways to manage that through things like contracts. So depending on the customer calling in, you can automatically know that they're entitled to this level of support, um, you know, based on their contract with your company. So that's definitely something that ServiceNow manages out of box. And obviously you can build additional things like based on it being a certain customer, you can escalate it in priority. You can route it automatically to different assignment groups really to help, you know, deliver uh, better customer service. Definitely seems like a, a ton of different use cases. Um, I want to talk a bit more about the quarter. So I thought it was a great quarter for ServiceNow. They raised guidance. Uh, they became, for the first time, a $4 billion recurring subscription revenue company, 97% retention. I mean, this company always does high 90s on retention rate, customers writing bigger checks and staying with the company. Uh, well on their goal of reaching $10 billion in revenue um, in the next five years or so. So one thing that stood out to me as well is it seems like they're closing bigger deals. So for the first time ever, they closed uh, two deals over eight figures, so over $10 million. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything specifically we should be thinking about when it comes to ServiceNow's ability to sign larger customers. Do you see bigger deals in the future? Um, and why are such big companies taking a look at ServiceNow? Definitely. I, I absolutely think there is the opportunity for ServiceNow to sign, um, you know, continue to sign big name customers and for the, deal, the deals to only get bigger as they go. And I think one of the main reasons for that is the footprint of the platform, right? And, and just how deep the product goes. You know, previously, like I was saying, ServiceNow was really used for a main use case of internal ticketing. But I think when ServiceNow is evaluated by um, a procurement department or just an organization itself, they're looking and saying, okay, look at all the different things that, look at all the different tools we could replace within one platform. So instead of, instead of having um, you know, this tool for HR and this tool for um, you know, customer service management and this tool for internal ticketing, they can use ServiceNow as one central platform, have you know one contract for all of that, um, and really manage all of that data in one place. Right? They don't need to have ten different applications. And as continue as ServiceNow is continuing to expand in all these different places, it makes more sense for organizations to invest in kind of a one-stop shop for all these applications in one, hosted on one instance. Um, and not have, you know, all these different places and the data in all these different teams managing it and developing it. Let's have it all in one place. Um, and, and as part of that, you're going to get the attention of bigger organizations and the deals are also going to be a lot bigger because instead of just customers paying for one application, all of a sudden they're paying for six different applications, which ServiceNow offers. Yeah, a lot of good tailwinds there. Um, I think what you're saying too seems very independent of COVID. These seem like kind of secular bull trends and not one-time trends. Uh, one interesting thing we've talked about a bit is the pandemic kind of has given a one-time revenue boost where future revenue is pulled forward for companies like Zoom and companies that benefit from more people working from home. Uh, McDermott specifically was asked about this on the earnings call about whether we would see ServiceNow slow down after the pandemic. 
And he actually said uh, that ServiceNow should get even stronger. So I'll read this quote because I think it's really good. Post-pandemic, ServiceNow gets even stronger. And the reason for that is our customers have less limitations around them and their business. So you should feel very bullish about our company. I see companies with one system of record per 1,000 employees and very consistently at that. And with us, you just take a one-portal approach to simplify the whole scenario for the employees, especially with a hybrid future work environment, work from home or work from the office. Work summer in between that, we own that entire market. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely supports what you're saying, but uh, I think the answer is yes, but I want to get your thoughts on whether you agree with Bill on that. Uh, do you think ServiceNow continues to get wider spread adoption even after the pandemic? Oh, 100%. And, and I think really, especially with companies changing how they're doing business, how they're staffing their workforce, how they're managing the remote workforce and what that means for people not being in the office. There's a hundred percent more of a demand for things to be in the cloud and for, you know, all these exchanges between employees for, you know, record keeping and all of the workflows to be managed, you know, through a platform like ServiceNow. And the other piece of that as well is obviously they're just expanding footprint, right? So they get in somewhere and it just splinters out into the organization. So, you know, definitely I really see it, um, you know, the adoption of ServiceNow just continuing to increase, you know, even after COVID is over. I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Great stuff. Yeah, and I think I kind of want to move the conversation to broader uh, tech and stock market stuff in general. Uh, where I think the pandemic ending will be a factor potentially for more stocks. So um, you know, it comes in an interesting time period. We're about to have a huge amount of IPOs this week. We'll talk about one of them, Snowflake. But before that, um, what are your thoughts on the market in general, uh, specifically on the tech side? I think the market's ready to reel it in a little bit. Um, you know, I think this, is, this has been one of the, probably the most epic run of, of tech in you know, cloud stocks in general. I think it's the market's got definitely got a little bit ahead of itself. I think the pullback that we had this week was definitely healthy. Um, I'd like to see it pull back even a little bit more and, and then potentially go back in. But really where I am now, I'm really in a holding period. Um, you know, did take some profits on particular stocks, you know, after Zoom went up 40%, decided it was it was time to take a little bit of profit and, you know, play with the house's money a little bit. So I think we're going to continue to see over the next few weeks um, and really around the election volatility, I think, as, as a lot of people are, are guessing, we probably will as well. But overall, I mean, you know, I'm still bullish on, on tech for the next 10 years. So really, I don't plan on, on pulling out anytime soon. And I think anyone like you and I who, who will work in tech every day and just see the, the continuous growth of it. You know, I don't, I don't see this as the same 2001 bubble. And I know everyone says, you know, it, it, and I'm, I'm going to make a reference that Dave Portnoy has made, right? The, you know, and I don't mean to take a shot at anyone who, um, you know, who doesn't, who doesn't work in tech, right? Uh, for example, the suits as he calls them. But, you know, if you work in tech every day and you see the dependence that, enterprises have on technology and how they literally would not be able to function without them. It's hard not to be bullish on, on all these um, software as a service stocks for the next 10 years. I really think there's a lot of room to run, particularly, you know, companies in, in, you know, who are valued at, at less than 10 billion is really where I'm uh, more so looking 
to get into um, kind of mid-market instead of the the really big ones like obviously Apple, Amazon, Microsoft. I mean, I, there's no doubt in my mind you're going to get good returns on those. But, you know, I think it's really a good time to start looking at kind of smaller to mid-market tech companies that have more room to run over the next, you know, the next decade. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think having had close to a front row seat to some of the SaaS stuff as a customer, because most of the companies I've worked for have used, you know, whether it's uh, Atlassian or a Splunk um, or a ServiceNow um, or Salesforce in pretty much every case, uh, AWS, Azure, uh, it, I can't really imagine us decreasing our monthly spend on, on any of those. They're all actually growing checks, especially on the AWS side. You know, you need more and more resources as your company scales. Um, that said, I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned mid-market, uh, you mentioned some particular business attributes you're, you're a fan of. Are there any tech companies outside of ServiceNow you have your eye on that you'd look to buy in a pullback or buy right now? Yeah, I, I have a few in particular that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on for the next, you know, the next few years. I think the big one that I have that has a ton of growth potential is Ping Identity. So Ping Identity, I, you know, I used to work on the product probably about five years ago or so. I was an administrator. Um, helping manage the single sign-on for uh, a large organization. And if you look at a product like Ping and their revenue numbers versus a company like Okta or ADFS, you know, it, it's really, in my opinion, undervalued considered how good their product is. And when you look at a company like Okta that has, you know, is valued at close to $30 billion versus Ping, which is, you know, valued under five, I believe, um, you know, that's just a huge, a huge discrepancy in valuation, right? And obviously Okta's revenue numbers are, are way bigger than Ping's, but really when you look at it from a product perspective and how the product works and what it does, um, you know, I, I really think Ping is, is, is close behind them. So that's, in, in my opinion, I think Ping has a lot of room to run. And I kind of like the valuation that it has compared to other overinflated stocks right now. So that's a big one that I have. Yeah, the naysayers would definitely point out they like Okta to take a ton of their business and Okta kind of seems like a dominant player in the space. I would call back to a business analogy that you and I are fond of where, you know, back when airports were a thing, you know, you get into the airport, you look at the number of rental cars and there's six or seven and all of them do good business. Um, what do you think allows Ping to compete with Okta right now? Yeah, I think right now there, I mean, there's a huge demand for single sign-on and you know identity and really just security in general right um and i think ping does a very good job at making it easy to set up new connections to applications all of the the tons of different pre-built connectors that they have the organizations that they serve um, they have you know a huge they still have a pretty large part of the market and they also serve you know some of the biggest names in the business as well the other piece that they do have as well is, you know, they're constantly innovating in how they, you know, their security model and how people are authenticating, whether it's through um, ping ID on their mobile phone or, you know, other things like that. So I think they're, they're really pushing the envelope. They've been in this space for a long time. Um, and, you know, definitely, and, and like you and I say, you know, there's always room for more than one player in the market. And personally, when I, I look at their product and, their customers and their revenue numbers. And then you look at other valuations, you know, I, I really think ping is undervalued in that sense. Yeah. I like the thesis. 
I want to jump to an IPO coming up this week that's kind of tangentially related to ServiceNow. Big I, oh, Snowflake, big IPO, big one. Very excited. I mean, I, I've looked at their S1. I, I've read a few articles on it. I've used Snowflake at a couple companies now, just an incredible product. Um, so Frank Slootman, CEO, I know he was at ServiceNow for a little bit. He was at Data Domain prior to that. He got uh, acquired by EMC. Um, just a really impressive guy overall. Uh, but we'd love to hear your take on what he was like as the ServiceNow CEO. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, based on, you know, what I've heard about Frank Slootman and really the the value that I saw him deliver, Frank Slootman is a great, um, great driver of growth and organizations, as well as getting things done and bringing in an executive team. Um, you know, that, that really pushes the envelope and get things, gets things done, right? So I think he's really good at kind of taking a company when you looked at ServiceNow from, you know, kind of a, a already a company that's proven itself, right? And has huge growth potential. Taking that from its really small, um, you know, startup -y mindset and taking it public and really driving growth like never before and putting people in the right places. And I think something that he's very strategic about doing, um, and you know, I, I saw him on CNBC the other day is, is how he, you know, kind of takes over, takes the reins and then brings people in into the right place to get things done. And his, um, you know, his leadership team that he kind of brings along with him from company to company has really proven themselves as instrumental in, in taking companies to the next level. I mean, you look at ServiceNow, the numbers it was doing before he came in, and then you know from the time that John Donahoe took over, I mean, it was just astronomical growth. And you know, he's kind of has this repeat and method down, um, you know, really rinse and repeat of of what he needs to do. Um, and I think he did that with ServiceNow. He did it with Data Domain, I believe, before that. Um, you know, and, and now he's going to do it with Snowflake, right? And I think the thing about Snowflake is when you look at the numbers that it's doing and really the competition and just how quickly Snowflake has grown, I mean, I personally think that this is going to be one of the biggest IPOs uh, of the decade. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be huge. And I think this company has growth potential of something that we haven't seen in a long time. Definitely. And I, uh, I actually found last night, uh, he has a book on Amazon called Tape Sucks Inside Data Domain, a Silicon Valley growth story. It's just about 100 pages. I'm almost done with it, but really good book. Um, the reason the book is called Tape Sucks actually is because tape used to be the way um, different database backups were stored. It was, it was very expensive, very cost prohibitive. Um, so his company had a means of um, using technology um, to get the backups um, onto what we're traditionally used to. Um, and the, the cost savings were about 20 to 1. That said, they still had to compete against uh, IBM, against EMC, against uh, a bunch of other players. Um, so it's a super interesting story. Um, wanted to actually close out on a quote from the book, which I think uh, you've had a lot of experience with and kind of says a lot about ServiceNow's business methodology and also GlideFast too. So... Slootman writes, uh, customer satisfaction always affected our notion of a win. A sales contract is not yet a complete win. The end zone is when we have implemented successfully and created a delighted customer. So I know you've played on the sales side, you play on the implementation side. Um, talk a bit about how, like, what happens after the sale is made and what you think about that quote. Yeah, and I think, you know, 
Frank has done a really good job at, at proving that model of customer success. I mean, when you look at a company like ServiceNow with a 97% retention rate, um, you know, great customer satisfaction numbers, phenomenal customer support. He is able to take, um, take a product, build a phenomenal customer support model and also, you know, customer success organization and make sure that not only when, you know, a customer becomes an initial customer, that spend, you know, it's, it's not just going to be that initial spend, right? It's like you were saying where they're going to continuously spend more. They're going to renew every year. He's phenomenal at, at kind of that whole strategy of success and customer growth and retention. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, Snowflake has clearly done well when you, when you look at their financials and their balance sheet um, and their growth prospects. I mean, definitely, I think he's the right guy for the job to make sure that, you know, this is a big IPO and, and you know, they're going to be wildly successful in the near future. Well said, and I'm, I'm really excited to buy into the company. Even if the IPO is a bit frothy, I, I want a dollar cost average in and excited to have that name in my portfolio. Josh, great times. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. It's been great to talk. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.